Hello, guys. How's everybody doing? Doing good, Tony. Good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you, too. I had a situation come up with my mother last week. Couldn't be on the show, so. Well, and we're, we have Nico back, too. We haven't had, got to see have, him in a while. We have Nico, yes, and, and you have some exciting news that you want to share with yeah, me. Yeah, this is some great big news. Um, Javier Palomo, who is... Uh, uh, a longtime friend of ours and obviously a student of yours uh, actually won the world Nogi uh, IBJJF championship. So that's uh, just gigantic. I think that's maybe the biggest championship he's ever won. Uh, I mean, I think that's the biggest tournament that, that I think that he's competed in. And not that he's won world championships before, but the IBJJF is just huge. So, I mean, just a huge congratulations to him. That's an amazing accomplishment. Uh, and I also want to plug, you know, we did have a long conversation with him. So, you know, uh, if, if you're out there listening and you missed a previous episode, I believe, uh, like on iTunes or whatever, it, it lists as episode 27. Actually, it's two parts. We talked so long for him because he basically went over his, his life story and all the different, uh, you know, uh, people he's trained with and his, his long journey. And I think it's the 29th YouTube video. If you like look at our uh, podcast playlist just because we've, we've added some other shorter videos in there. So the numbering doesn't exactly line up there, but I highly recommend you check that out. I mean, it's a great show either way, but you know, again, just, it's, it's a momentous occasion um, for him and for all of us, honestly, we just, uh, it's a great, great moment. Well, maybe you can put a link to it, to the, on the YouTube description here, you know, if you can find it. For sure. And like I said, it's just on yeah. our simple on our playlist. Um, and it's, it's like, uh, video 29. And again, uh, you can find it on, on various streaming services uh, for pure podcasts. And you know, the, the beautiful thing about Javier is when he does the stuff that, you know, that I showed him and teach taught him in these tournaments, he's not a big guy like me. He's not my size, right? He's a smaller guy. He's like five foot one or five foot two, you know, um, buck 40, you know, so it, it, it goes to show you that, you know, it, it, you don't have to be a large person, a heavyweight or a super heavyweight um, to excel. He's very good. He's a very good student of the game. He's like a scientist to it. You know, he, he takes the whole thing seriously and he's an older guy, you know, he's not 21 years old anymore. And, um, you know, so he's another shining example of don't let any preconceived ideas or preconceived notions stand in your way. And I remember we talked about this on the podcast that he used to hate when Brazilian, uh, when uh, UFC came out and they kept calling Hoist Gracie a little guy. And Javier used to get so mad. He's like, Hoist is not a little guy. You know, Hoist is actually larger than average. He's taller than the average guy. He was 
weighing around 175, 180. Javier is a little guy, right? So I remember that all the time. It's like, he's not a little guy. I'm a little guy. But yeah, it's, it's, it's great that he's, he's doing it, you know, and I wish him as much, I wish him a lifetime of success, man. He's great. He's just a great human being. And it's really kind of a, a really excellent example of how, I mean, because he's put in, I mean, he's been training for decades, you know, got years and years, and he's just a lifetime of learning and, you know, um, kind of from humble beginnings. And now he's, you know, competing at the world stage successfully. So it's just a huge tribute. And I think a great example to everybody to keep training, keep learning. Um, and yeah, I mean, clearly it's something he loves, you know, he's, he's always in the gym and uh, yeah, just can't be happy enough for him. He's a great guy. I mean, he's been a big help and supporter to us. Uh, he's never forgotten his roots and where he came from. So uh, yeah, just hats off to him. That's awesome. You know, that's the best news. Um, I know, Tony, you wanted to have kind of a serious discussion today, kind of a change of pace um, about, you know, kind of something you, you want to get the word out on. Um, before we do that, though, I also do want to do kind of the uh, official plug before we get going that um, if you're looking for training, the Tri-C program is the, the gold standard here. Uh, it's the best way for you as a student to uh, get access to Tony, to get all his information, the best uh, bang for your buck, honestly, you know, for uh, you get all his videos, immediate access to that. But even more than that, you get kind of a customized lifetime <laughs> training program, you know, where you can communicate, you can either come out and train with Tony at his place, and then also uh, get remote learning. So it's, it's, it's the best of all worlds. It's a, really a generous, generous program. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, we recognize that not everybody can is in a position where they can do that right away. But at, at a minimum, everybody listening, everybody who's a supporter, a fan or a student uh, could join the membership program, which we have two levels. One is you know, the base level is just, hey, I'm throwing my support your way. I appreciate your podcast. I appreciate your free videos on YouTube, and I want to see them continue. So that's what you're pitching in your $5 a month. And the level two is $10 a month, where we produce additional content videos that only you have access to. Or I should say any, only members have access to. So that's like a two-tier system. Both are very affordable. Uh, we appreciate anybody and everybody who signed up for all of these things or buys videos. It all goes to help out and uh, you know, uh, support Tony in the gym and kind of keep this lineage of catch wrestling growing and for the future generation. So anyways, enough uh, sales pitch, Tony. I know, like I said, you had some, some personal things that you kind of wanted to make sure that people listening out there heard about and kind of your perspectives on things that's been going on with your family and your mom. Um, yeah, you know, um, well, my family is my mom. Um, it's uh, Alzheimer's. It Alzheimer's I believe is probably a very um, misunderstood uh, disease. Um, it's actually named after a German doctor, Dr. Alois uh, Alzheimer, who uh, first noted this about, well, over a hundred years ago, I think in the early 1900s, like maybe 1903, 1906. Um, I don't want to go into the whole medical details of it because I'm not, a neurologist, I'm, you know, just a, a caregiver that that suffers and uh, from it. And I kind of want to use that focus. Um, if people really want to get some information on Alzheimer's and the disease of uh, that and other dementias, go to alz.org. Uh, they're, you know, they're the uh, 
probably the pinnacle of information, but it's, it's a very difficult uh, disease to even diagnose because uh, all of us will say, we all forget. Everybody forgets things, right? And we, we kind of laugh it off like, oh, we're, I'm just getting old. You know, um, Alzheimer's is not a part of aging. That's not like a destiny, right? Alzheimer's is a problem. It's, it's an issue. Uh, and, you know, earlier diagnosis is probably a good thing, of course. Um, my mom got diagnosed uh, roughly 10 years ago, but doing reflection, doing previous history of, of her behaviors. She's probably been suffering with it uh, for maybe since the year 2000. So probably a good 20 years she's had it and you don't know, right? Um, again, you think, okay, it's a part of aging. But the big thing is when, when this all started with her before I moved out here to McHenry County. Um, I just thought Alzheimer's was, you just forget, you know, you might not remember things. And while that's a part of it, there's so much more. Uh, the alternate realities, the delusions, the uh, paranoia, the mood changes, the, the violence, the anger, the sadness, what all of this plays into it. And <clears throat> I know I certainly wasn't prepared for it. You know, nobody ever took me in and, and sat me down and said, Hey man, you know, this is what, this is what to look for. This is what's going to, this is what's going to happen. If I would have known all that, I never, ever, ever would have thought about moving way out here in the middle of nowhere because this community just really isn't prepared um, for anything like this. You know, part of the problem in rural America, which is where I'm living now is, you know, they're, medical infrastructure has pretty much imploded over the years, right? So you don't, you don't get that great care. Now you factor in insurances or, you know, wh whatever you, you, she has Medicare and Humana and, you know, you, there's networks of doctors that she can see. So it's not like I can take her to, you know, Chicago even for, for any kind of treatment. So for those people Alzheimer's is relatively known as the disease that attacks the caregivers uh, because they're the ones who have to put up with all the behavior, all the, 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 the trauma and the stress of it. And um, thankfully for most people, yet they, they, many people have an extended family where they can get help. You know, they, they, let's say a husband and wife or you know, the, the brothers and sisters or children and grandchildren and all of that. Well, in my case, there's none of that. It's just me and her. So all the focus is on me. Um, and I, I think that there, there, there has to be a focus on the caregivers because if they collapse and it happens or caregivers snap, they just, even professionals that are not family members that are paid uh, sometimes just can't take it. Uh, the behavior that you that you encounter is unbelievable. You you couldn't believe it. Um, so I, I think that there has to really be an effort to expose and, and really get help for the caregivers so that they can stay strong. Uh, because if they collapse, then then the Alzheimer's patient collapses. And 
And sadly, in my mom's case, Medicare and Humana do not cover caregiving, caretakers like professionals. I was relying on the county's help and their organization has dropped my mom. Um, she's slipped further. I'm gonna have a meeting on the 21st of this month, supposedly, they're supposed to come to the house. Uh, we'll see what happens with that, but it's, uh, it's a bad situation. So the reason I'm bringing this up is for anybody out there, any person that, that may have a family member that, that you think may have memory issues, please get it looked at immediately and please put yourself in a position where you not only have a quote unquote support group, but you actually have help. Uh, you, you have to, um, because for me, my personality, not that there's any uh, groups per se that like I could go talk to. I don't want that anyway, you know, especially what I'm dealing with it 24, seven, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The last thing I need to do is abandon her to go to some group meeting and listen to everybody else's problems about it. I need to escape it. You know, I need to like get away from the Alzheimer world for a while. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really difficult. And you have to be strong. If you're a caregiver, you have to try to learn how to micromanage your own life. Uh, and, you know, somehow you have to find a way to, to break away for a while, you know, to rejuvenate your batteries. And, and you have to do it quite often. This is not something you can do once a year because it, it'll just, man, the attacks just keep coming. And, uh, Caregivers have to watch out for becoming PS, PTSD, that they, you will suffer from that uh, if you're always in it, um, just like anybody else would. It, it just wears you down. So I just wanted to bring a little notice to that because I, I know that I'm not the only person in, in the world that's the sole caregiver. I cannot be the only person that's going through this. So if you know anybody, even in your own personal life, that's not related to you, that's taking care of someone with, with Alzheimer's, you know, uh, be extra special to that person. Maybe just do something nice for that person, for the caregiver, you know, um, maybe even volunteer to watch for an hour, two hours, three hours. So that person can maybe go out and watch a movie, you know, or go out for a dinner. Um, really, it, it it would, it means a lot. It would, it would mean a lot if, if that could, if that could happen. Um, I know somebody that I know put me in touch with this, uh, uh, volunteer organization or something like that, which turns out to really not be volunteer. I had to pay 50 bucks to access their database and only to come to find out because again, because I live in the middle of nowhere, there's no volunteers, not even within 20 miles of where I live. And uh, since I paid the 50 bucks, I reached out to one person. It was like 30 miles away and she was, she, you know, refused to do it. I mean, she didn't refuse. She just said, no, no, thanks. And it was only going to be for like an hour once a week. Again, that's not what, it's not what people in my position need. Um, but yeah, so if, if you know anybody and, you know, the people who are listening, watching this program, if you know somebody who's, who's going through, through it, like, do what you can to help the person, you know, like I say, volunteer a little bit of time or, you know, just like a shoulder to lean on or something. Right. And don't give advice. That's the worst thing you can do too, because a caregiver knows 100% what's going on. They, they don't want to hear anybody else's 
revolutionary ideas on it. When you're thrust in the middle of it, you know exactly what's going on. And every patient is different. And every patient goes through cycles and changes. Okay. My mother is no longer the way she was ten, five years ago or 10 years ago or two years ago. Okay. It keeps changing. Um, and, you know, uh, there's treatments coming up and, you know, this and that, but the, for my mom, nothing, nothing has worked. Uh, and, uh, you know, they say on average, you have a life expectancy of four to six years after diagnosis, but wow. it, it can, but it can go up to 20 years. Okay. Um, we just found out, or I just found out, uh, Friday that, you know, some of the results of her labs came back, well, all of them came back, and she's got uh, stage three uh, kidney disease, okay? Hmm. Um, so that's, outs but outside of that, she's, she's generally healthy. Her oxygen levels, her blood pressure was fine, 130 over, I think, 82. Um, her heart rate was, resting heart rate was like 60. So generally, she's, she's healthy. So, um, this is, you know, this is going to be a long thing with her, you know, it's, it's more than likely it's going to be a long, you know, long process. So for, for, for people out there, yeah, make sure that you have as much help as you can get for yourself. Okay. And the more help you get, the, the better of a caregiver you can uh, become. So really that's all I wanted to say. We, we can move on now to something probably happy, but, um, you know. Well, Tony, did, what were some of the, like, the first symptoms that you noticed before the actual diagnosis? Was it just well, memory loss? or? Are you talking now in hindsight or actually? Forgetting things? Well, personality changes. You know, this, well, forgetting things, yes. Uh, that's, but then after the diagnosis, like I said, when, when I had to reflect on, other things like the year, years before it was the uh i guess you'd say delusions okay um and for people who don't know what that is there's uh it's not like it necessarily even they just make things up right that that but they sound completely plausible it's not like hey i just had a space rocket ship to the moon no it's it's nothing like that it's something that could be you would believe 100% believable and they're very convincing because they believe it. And while this isn't the proper term technically, because they're not doing anything purposely, um, it's they gaslight you. Okay. It becomes a gaslight um, situation, kind of like what a narcissist, they gaslight people all the time. This is a similar thing. So you never know what to believe anymore. And then you, as the as the spouse or the loved one or the caregiver or whatever, you start to doubt everything, your own reality. Um, so, yeah, with my mom, it was some of that, which I did not know, because, like I said, I did not have any idea that she was making things up. I believed her. Um, so, but it was just probably the memory loss uh, that was the trigger for the dementia, initial dementia um diagnosis it's it's tough nico especially when you and it's especially when it's a loved one and you just don't it's like a magic trick you don't know it looks they're they're so convincing 
And Penny, to your point, it's hard to know when to pull the trigger to get it diagnosed because like I said, even at my age, I can, I can tell I'm not remembering things. My word recall is terrible. You know, I used to have a different, my vocabulary has slipped considerably, you know, like I used to know, or like if names of actors or things in movies, I can tell, I can't recall them as quickly. And that's disturbing to me. Um, uh, or, but you know, like I just actually yesterday, um, I, this is going to be a very somber episode, I think, but like I was at a memorial for my cousin yesterday and my mother and uncle uh, were there um, and we came separately, uh, but my mom didn't recognize me initially, you know, and I had the mask on and you know, it's not like she sees me in a suit very often, but I've never seen her not recognize me before. Now she's, you know, in her eighties, you know, but it, I can see a, a serious decline going, actually both of them didn't recognize me. So, but now my uncle lives in Florida and probably hasn't seen me in years. Uh, you know, but he he immediately thought I was somebody and, and thought I was somebody who lived in, in Colorado. I don't even know who he confused me for. But it was weird seeing them both back to back. Again, they're both in their 80s. Uh, I don't know if my, I don't think either of them have been diagnosed or, or even, you know, tested for that. So that's something, you know, now my mom lives with my sister and brother-in-law, you know, and um, yeah, and, and, and like I said, my sister's got her own health things to be dealing with too. You know, her ability to do caretaking is going to be difficult. Um, I mean, so far they're dealing with it, but um, yeah, I mean, it's a scary thing. I mean, well, let me just throw in that just because you forget now doesn't all, you know, don't panic out there, everybody, you know, it doesn't mean you have dementia or Alzheimer's because you, you know, that's a separate thing, but you should, everybody should, like my memory's poor, but I know why I've been diagnosed with, you know, with the brain issues, but, so there, it could be other things, right? Um, but yeah, you should get tested, Joe. They do these cognitive tests. It's 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 not an invasive. It's more of a, like a uh, skill set, okay? Mm -hmm. um, it's, just, it's a non-invasive test. And th and then of course, if if you fail that, or if they're concerned, they'll they maybe do th then they may do brain scans or CAT scans or something. But yeah, um, jump on it, man. You just don't know. How old was your mom when? Uh, so you said like 2000 about when she was, when no, started she, she was diagnosed about 10 years ago. Okay. Mm. Um, so that would have made her about 70 when she got diagnosed roughly. Okay. But I think it was going on since the year, like the year 2000, I think, which would put her um, at 60 at that point in time. Um, yeah. 60. She was born 1940. So yeah, she's 81 now. Um and they said now, in, in again, in retrospect, like Ronald Reagan, you know, they, they suspect that he had Alzheimer's while he was president in his second term. Okay, they look back on it now, and you, you can see these things, right? Oh, yes, these are patterns that were probably, um, you know, Alzheimer's. So, yeah, it can be something that can be very subtle, um, you know, especially if it's early onset Alzheimer's. You don't know. It could start sometimes in your late 40s or 50s. Um, so sure you should, you know, get, get it looked at, you know, uh, and, and they do have medication now that's designed to slow it down, slow the progress. Uh, in my friend's father's case, it's working and he's 90 years old and his, his wow. Alzheimer's has, has been okay. But my mom was on the same meds. And as a matter of fact, I took her to the doctor this Monday and he just finally decided just to take her off of it because it's, it's done work. 
it's absolutely not working for her. She's just, but, um, you know, the, oh, no, I was just going to kind of make some observations on some of the points you made, like the, the thing of not trusting what's real or not from the caretaker's perspective. Because I even had, I had some coworkers who were, they were intentionally deceptive, I'll say this, or uh, they would play games with what they would say. Uh, I think they were just kind of covering their tail. But it, it, I, I could kind of see, even if someone's doing it, but I basically remember being in the same thing with them where I never knew. And also was questioning myself because sometimes they would make it seem like, oh, no, I actually said this other thing or, you know, and, and there were always just slight variations. So I began to question myself, you know, like it's just you, you get in this weird state of like, I, it's the gaslighting. Yeah, it's like. I, you know, I'm pretty sure you said the other thing, but maybe I forgot, you know, like the first time you're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. And that can put you in a very, you know, uh, stressful situation or unstable where you're like uncertain now, you're questioning yourself. And eventually I had I had cooperation from people outside saying, no, 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 they're, they, because it's this, and like I said, and that's in case of someone intentionally doing it, but if they're not even intentionally doing it, uh, it's got to be even harder to pick off you know, or, or when you're by yourself and you don't have someone else who's like also tracking what's going on to say, oh, no, no, this is what really happened. That's got to be. And the other thing is kind of, I think, one thing that's really changed for me. So I used to, you know, when you hear about some of these criminals, like these white collar criminals who get house arrest, I used to always think, well, man, what a slap on the wrist that was. Uh, but then I think like a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, you know, in, the, in North America or the Western world now are getting an appreciation for like when you're quarantined at home, it's great maybe for a few weeks, but at a certain point you go stir crazy, you know, you get like cabin fever or whatever. And that's kind of another, I guess it's not completely the perspective, but it's just another, uh, I guess, uh, insight into kind of maybe what someone like yourself, you can't go out. I mean, you're, you're permanently quarantined because you have to keep an eye on them because, you know, they could hurt themselves accidentally or whatever. So it's kind of like you get, you're getting all those things layered on top of you, you know, uh, you've got the quarantine, you know, kind of the, the cabin fever thing. And then just the, yeah, kind of the, the questioning of yourself and the stress that that brings. Well, the other thing, and this is for people who work in the, the professional caregivers, you have to watch or caretakers, whatever. You, you have to be careful of the false accusations because especially like in the beginning stages, this person may be completely, uh, you would never know this person has Alzheimer's. Okay, or or whatever, um, they can come off like totally awesome. They'll say something that's completely untrue, but like if they were to tell tell it to a police officer, the police officers would be convinced. And they could even, I mean, you can't, you could spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours with a person, and 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 maybe never see any other symptoms, right? But then as the disease progresses, then of course it would become more. Uh, pronounced and you'd be able to see it right away but yeah it's a dangerous situation especially with these cnas who don't make a lot of money okay they're not making a hundred grand a year they're they're working for basically minimum wage and now they may have somebody who'll who'll misplace their money you know and accuse the care the caretaker of taking the money and it's just like who wants that stress, you know, um, of being accused of stealing? Now, that's not to say that it doesn't happen. We all know that, yes, there are, sadly, there are uh, 
in-home caretakers, caregivers, uh, you know, in-home workers, whatever the label they go by, that do do things like that. That's they've been caught doing it, but um, you don't hear about the times that they get falsely accused, and that's dangerous. You know, that's a stress. You know, you just you just you just don't want it. Uh, you know, there was many times like before she was bad, like when she could still drive and all of that stuff before she was super bad. I would, so I didn't have to be here. I'd be out doing whatever. And, um, because I thought I could, I could leave her a little bit. And then I'd come home. She'd, she'd say stuff like such and such came over to the house, was looking for you. I'm like, Oh really? Oh yeah. So then I would call that person up and they're like, I wasn't at your house. I don't, I don't even know where you live, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so then, you know, and, and, and a couple of times, you know, well, more than a couple of times, I did not know in the beginning. I'm like, what, like you, Joe, I mean, it's like, what, who's lying to me here? You know, what's, what's happening here? So yeah, it's difficult. And then, you know, they wander, they take things, they misplace things, they're gone forever. And, you know, that's another frustrating thing. And it's expensive. You know, she's in a habit of losing remote controls and shit, you know, so this there it, keys you name it, it stuff it's gone 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 and you know throwing out food brand new food stuff like that it just it gets to the point where what, what do you do you know you you can't lock everything up you you just can't and, and my memory is not great so if i'm hiding things from her I got to remember where the shit's at and I don't, you know, so it, it's, it's a difficult situation. It really is. So like um, this morning, 1130 at night, she's, you know, opening the door to my room. Now I've locked that door, but she knows how to unlock it. And then it's 1230, you know, sneaking in and all this talk about PTSD. You know, this is what will cause it because you, you don't know. You know, it could be a burglar. You don't know. So you get up right away. You're, you know, boom, ready to, ready to, ready to go. Um, it's tough. It's, 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 it's unbelievable, guys. I'd never imagine anything like this in my life. Never. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. I would not wish either thing. See, I wouldn't wish for somebody to be in my position or my mom's position. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It's bad. It's terrible. Does, does she at least sleep through the night more? What's that? Most nights, or is it and stuff at night? Well, they, she's now, okay, they have this thing called sundowners, okay, which is like a subset. So at night, they tend to get worse. You can look this up. It's it's kind of fascinating. Um, well, she doesn't. Sometimes she sleeps at night or through the night. Sometimes not, like this morning or last night, however you want to look at it. No, she was up constantly. And... Um, you know, it, it and it just rattles me because now I'm hyper because I don't have very good hearing, as you guys know. So but any noise I hear, I'm immediately thinking it's something related to her. So living out here in the rural with the animals and shit that, that are all over the place, I don't know what's going on. Um, so, uh, yeah, it just makes it so like your your nerves are like this and. You know, and then it puts me in such a terrible position where, you know, like I can't just go out and get a job. I can't leave her here for 10 hours a day. I can't do it. So what, you know, this, I just don't know this. I just don't know how, how I'm going to get through all this either. You know, it's tough, but, um, and 
once again, the, the, this environment here, this rural community that I live in, th most of the people out here are families. Okay, it's all families. I'm the exception, you know, there is no family here. So this is, of all the places you could put me in, or and my mom, this is the worst place to possibly be. You know, we need to be back in a big city where there's support groups or just, you know, neighbors that'll help out or things, um, but we I can't, we can't do it. We just financially can't leave, you know. Um, there's just, it's, there's so much to it. It's, oh, it's a bad mistake that I had that I, you know, moving out here. But anyway, um, yeah, for my to get back to the original question, yeah, her doctor probably did the uh, the uh, um, the memory. They did they did that initial memory cognitive test, and she didn't. She it was poor. Um, she got she. My mom was a CNA, my, or my mom was a you know this. She was a live-in. She used to live in with patients, you know, for like weeks at a time, six weeks, seven weeks at a time. Then she'd come stay with me for a weekend or whatever. And she'd every day off. There was no reason for her to have an apartment. And then she got fired finally after, oh, shit, over 30 years. Well, one patient she had died, but then the other patients, she finally got fired because they, I guess, were noticing that she was forgetful. Well, you can't, you can't do that. Um, and so she went and got diagnosed and uh, or went to see the doctor to find out what's going on. That's when they initially diagnosed her. That's back when I was living in a city. And then shortly thereafter, you know, the, the three flat that I was living in, that I was renting, the landlord didn't pay the rent. His mortgage, I mean, after like two years, they foreclosed. We were forced to move. It was in the middle of the winter. We couldn't, you know, just couldn't find a place. You know, I had a dog. You know, this was rough. I had, a, I just had a very limited time to get the hell out, you know. And, um, you know, so finally, this place way out, which was fine because my mom was like, oh, I would always, you know, I would love to be in a house, da, da, da. Well, it just it just turned out to be a nightmare. So uh, for me, because now all the responsibility is on me. I'm in the middle of nowhere. No help. And uh, yeah, not good. So. And I could work back then, at least I could have an income. Now it's just, you know, um, I whatever I can sell on the internet. You know, I can't teach. I can't do seminars. I can't do side jobs. I can't do anything. I'm stuck here. Well, you can do the Tri-C program, right? Yeah, right. If people would sign up, that's great. That's why we promote that. You know, that's why we're really pushing for the Tri-C because um, that I can do from anywhere. You know, I don't even have to be even in this house. I could, I could do that anywhere. Um, but yeah, I, I wish people, more people, I wish people would join. If they would join, that would not only help them for learning, but it would help help me as well because it would take a lot of, a lot of the pressure off of me financially, and it would allow me to get a little nest egg, so that I can, if if I could find a place to move, I could I could have the um, security deposits and and all of that jazz. Um, but yeah, it's it's, you know, and saying that they bought my my downloads, but people tend to, you know, pirate stuff. Uh, that sucks. Even the membership program, if they could sign up $10 a month, if I had, you know, 200 people signing up for that, you know, that would be great. That'd be 2000 a month, you know, uh, steady income, but you know, it's just not taken off. But anyway, um, 
I oh I took her to get a haircut Wednesday. Oh well actually, yeah, one Thursday. And uh she uh the haircut place is like fifteen minutes away. And in that fifteen minutes, it was five times. Uh well, first of all, we drove and we got about halfway there. She asked me where we're going because she didn't remember. I said the haircut. So in the course of seven minutes, she asked me four more times, where are we going? So now her memory retention is, I'll say about two minutes, um, sometimes a little less. Sometimes it's only about a minute. Um, and, and that's another, when you got to keep repeating yourself and repeating yourself and repeating yourself, it gets, it gets annoying. But what are you going to do? That's such a ter- terrifying prospect to, uh, to have your, your, your mental faculties degrade like that. You know, I mean, that's who your person is and how you experience a life, you know? Um, so yeah, my heart just goes out to her and to you, obviously, like you said, you're, you're shining perspective on the fact that it's not just her, you know, it's, there's, there's other people being affected by this too. The people have to uh, take care of that. And I think, you know, I appreciate you uh, sharing this with everybody because I think raising awareness, because I don't, I, I, you know, if you're, if you're not going through it, maybe you don't think of all the different you know, situations that people can be in like yours, you're an only child, you know, you're an only child of an only child. And those families exist out there. And, uh, you know, so I think a lot of people make assumptions of people's ability to rely on others, you know, and have community. And I think it's also raising awareness, just how important community is, you know, whether it's family or friends. uh, And, you know, I mean, it's not just there for, um, you know, just kind of entertainment or comfort, but I mean, at, at literal support, you know, in situations like these. Well, yeah. when you were able to go to Cleveland and Scott watched her for me and Scott, you know, was my closest friend out here and everything. And he's like, I can't do it ever again. You can't, don't do this to me. I can't do it. He's like, I can't. He says, but I'm glad I did because now I get a better appreciation of what I have to go through. But he's like, I, he says, I just, I can't do it. But it, it was good for Scott because his father's the one who has Alzheimer's. His father's 90, but he's much better than my mom. So this is kind of like a wake-up call for Scott to see what might be in store if, if his dad's mental faculties, you know, take a turn for the worse. So it, it was, but yeah, he's like, I can't, I can't handle this. But see, Scott has a, a mother, stepmother. So he's, he's got that help and she's got kids. And all of that. So my thing is, you know, my parents got divorced when I was about a year or two old, right? I wasn't raised by my mom. I was raised by my grandparents. So this is, again, another unique facet to what's happening in this dynamic. Um, so since I don't, you know, I went years and years. I've seen my dad. Well, my dad passed away, but I've seen my dad probably less than 10 times in my whole life. Okay. I never saw him until I was 17. And then I didn't it was crazy, you know. Um, so I don't, I, I just don't have the family. And even if I did, they're all East Coast people, right? I mean, well, some of them, I guess, are maybe out West. I don't know. I didn't, I only, I haven't met many of them. I only met the cousins at uh, my dad's funeral and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, they're not, you know, it's, well, you met somebody once or twice in your life, you know, that doesn't count. So, um, yeah, there's, but I'm saying there has to be other people out there that are in my situation. And even if, so if I can reach out to them, even if your loved one, the person you may be responsible for, 
doesn't show any signs of this or, or whatever, just still always be in a position where you, you can get help. Maybe, maybe it'll be another health crisis that you'll have to take step in and take care of that may be overwhelming for you. Um, you know, you, you, you've got to get yourself some help. Um, I talked to somebody about, I think I mentioned this to you, Joe, about three, four months ago, um, a professional, uh, and she said to me on the phone, she says, um, once this is all over and done with, she said, it's going to take you minimum one or two years to just get, get yourself right again, you know, um, from a psychological standpoint. Yes, exactly. It's going to take time to, you know, just decompress and, you know, get a life again. Um, cause it's been many, many years that I've been dealing with this. Like I said, you know, um, at least well, 10 straight years of just, craziness. <laughs> it's hard. So I, I kind of got mad at somebody in the summer or spring from out here. And she made, she made a comment like, uh, well, I know what you're going through. You know, I took care of my mother for six months. That was the wrong thing to say to me. You know, um, I said six months, my goodness, you you don't even have a clue. You know, try doing it for 10 years. Try doing it 24-7. You had a husband. You had a, you had children. You know, you had brothers. As a matter of fact, I know her brother. You know, you had, you had, you had one of her brothers. You, you know, you know, I don't want to hear this. Six months. You know what I'm going through. You don't. So that's another thing. You try not to judge people unless you walked in their shoes. You know, um, like I said, I, I've known about Alzheimer's forever. But, but I didn't know about Alzheimer's. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I thought I knew. I didn't know. Well, I think that the like I said, you sharing this is kind of raising awareness just to, just how how desperate some circumstances can be. A lot of people make assumptions, and I think you know, unfortunately, our society is you know in such a place where we we can't you know there's there are people falling through the cracks basically. You know, like you know, it, it's unfortunate that that I mean, I think our society is is big enough and rich enough where it should be able to, in, in like situations like your mom, be able to take care of her full time. You know, it shouldn't be all on you. You know, I think we as a country and as a community should be able to, you know, give that support, but it's not happening. And I think people need to think about that too, that, um, you know, I think there's a lot out there that people feel it's like, well, it's, you know, you got to take care of yourself and, you know, it's on you. And uh, no, I think sometimes we, as a whole have to get together and take care of those who are in situations like yours. So I think just, I think making people aware that there are situations where families can't, you know, are, are at a very, are very stretched to their limits and can't, you know, even if they, if the heart's in the right place for whatever reason, they need support from the outside, whether that's through insurance or through, you know, government programs and whatnot. And I'm not trying to be too political, but I'm just trying to, say that people need to think that there's, you know, situations out there that they may not have thought of and people falling through the cracks that our system is very, um, yeah, unfortunately there's clearly gaps. I mean, I think you talked about being in the, out in the rural area and I've heard uh, just in general, not even related to Alzheimer's, how they talk about it being kind of like, um, like healthcare deserts, you know, uh, where, where, you know, people can't get the care they need or, you know, people are, are suffering from things uh, they're just too far away from getting proper care. 
And that's, you know, and there's like a, I think a dearth of doctors, you know, people who are not going to be out there. Obviously the, you know, the, a lot of the talented, really uh, highly trained people are going to be maybe in more densely populated areas, but we've got to think about those people who are out, you know, you know, outside and up the outskirts and how do we take care of them? Well, Um, I know a guy, not, not well, but I know a guy out here who's older. His son's actually a, Pretty successful actor out in uh, Hollywood, but anyhow, he had his wife in a nursing home that he, apparently this guy that I know, is, I, I, he must be well off because he had his wife in a nursing home, but it only ended up being a matter of a few months, maybe like nine or 10 months. I don't know, but it was over $7,000 a month that he had to pay. He wow. had to pay. And then he finally got her transferred into one that was like 4800 a month. But then she passed away. She wasn't even there, I think, a month. But so he kind of looked at he he kind of had like an attitude, you know, it's like, well, you know, you you can't afford forty eight hundred a month. Uh, no, I mean, this isn't, <laughs> you know, and this isn't my mother. I mean, this isn't my wife. This is my mother. Yeah. But, you know, so you're talking seven thousand five almost five thousand a month out of your own pocket. I don't make that. I don't lucky. I don't even make that in a year anymore. You know, so what the hell, you know? Um, so that's <clears throat> the healthcare is just, it's just, you know, ridiculous. It's just so expensive. Um, I, yeah, it's, and I remember, like I told you, I'm going to have that meeting on the 21st, but when COVID was, when the adult daycare was shut down and we, we had, you know, you couldn't go anywhere. They tried to bring at least some caregivers to the house and these caretakers, if, they showed up, which they mostly didn't. They, they couldn't find work. They couldn't find the people that wanted to do this job. My mom was only, um, it was only 26 hours a week. That was all that, you know, the, the max that, she, you know, that they would, they would do 26 hours a week. And that was Monday through Friday only. And, um, you know, that doesn't really give me, and again, like I said, I, I don't know if these people are going to show up. Many, many times they didn't. Sometimes they did and they left early because you know, they, they just, they were so undependable, right? Um, there was, there was one lady near the end that was pretty dependable, but, um, but the scheduling just, her hours just, she couldn't give the right hours. Um, you know, it was more or less, we had to fit our life into their schedule as opposed to the other way around. And it, and it ended up that I was still any, still taking my mom to some of the doctor's appointments, okay, as opposed to the, to, to the care caretaker. But be that as it may, even at 26 hours, that doesn't give me a lot of time, you know, um, during the week to to do something, you know, uh, like a 40 hour a week job is not a 40 hours a week. It's more, you know that you got to take in drive time there and back and add your lunch and all that. You know, uh, you could probably in, in some instances add another 10 hours to that. Okay. So you're gone 50 hours a week. Well, so it's, it's, it was just a disaster, you know? And like I said, it's weird to have people that you don't know in your house, caregivers, caretakers. You got to get to know them. You got to trust them. You got to make sure, you know, that nothing is missing intentionally on their end and it's not your my, in my case it's not my mom that misplaced something it could be them um it's very stressful and 
they were like opinionated about certain things. They didn't want to wear a mask. They didn't want to be vaccinated. They just, you know, well, later on when vaccines came out. But I mean, it was just like, man, I don't want my mom getting sick here. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there, there's just, la- it's like an onion. I think I said this before, there's layers to this. Okay. You peel off one layer, there's another layer. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But the bottom line is, man, I just, you know, when Kenny told me seven, over $7,000 a month he was paying for a nursing home. Man, I just, I can't, I can't fathom it. Is she still eligible for that, those 26 hours of caretaking or no? Apparently, I'm going to know on the 21st, but apparently they, they're not responding to any of my calls anymore. I quit calling. Okay. They're not even calling me back. Um, I would say no, because she's so bad now. Um, They know from, before during the COVID, how they couldn't get care. It was so hard, Nico, to get care caretakers to come here. Okay, it was unbelievable. Um, it, day after day, week after week, nobody's showing up. Okay, uh, so I, like I told Joe before you logged in, this is a cover your ass situation. I think. Um, yeah, I just don't. I just don't know what's going to happen. Um, so it's it's going to be status quo for me. You know, it's going to be just like it is until I can, you know, get a get a solid enough income to 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 move. You know, to and of course I'd have to take her with me. But if I if, like if I could get back into the city or thereabouts, you know, um, Niles, Norwich, whatever, um, I might be able to get Cook County, maybe able to help her. You know, I, but again, I'd have to look into that. I'd have to find out. I don't know. I don't know how any of the, I don't know how any of that works. And then I'd have to try to find a place that we could afford to live in. You know, um, nobody's going to rent to me when I'm not showing an income, right? You know, so even though you get you get the whole point. I don't want to go into this big big spiel about my personal business here, but you know how it can get. It's tough. So I don't I don't know what the answer is, but they they are supposedly coming out here on the 21st. Um, at one o'clock in the afternoon, let's see if they even show up. I don't even expect them to come, to tell you the truth. Well, again, I think I appreciate you sharing all this. I know it's obviously very personal for you and it's, it's, it's very tough, but I think raising awareness uh, as to what people can be going through and what the needs are out there. Uh, you know, maybe people haven't thought of this, you know, and hopefully this will give them at least some perspective, you know, uh, and, I think the COVID should make people more aware because there was a lot of people that were like lost their jobs or just things changed. Right. And, uh, you know, for those that were like, they, there's this big thing is nobody wants to work. You know, they're living on unemployment. Well, they, they weren't making a hundred thousand dollars on unemployment. Okay. So if they were re- relying on unemployment, they, they, you could see quickly that ain't a lot. That's not a lot of money. And there, maybe their savings got depleted. Like mine's gone. Okay. Everything. So they must know that they're one crisis away from a total collapse. Then what do you do? You know, what, what, what next, what happens next? You know, so homelessness probably, but, uh, you know, I, I just don't know the answer guys. I, I don't know for not just myself, but for anybody else that's in this predicament and it's a major predicament for, and again, it it doesn't have to be Alzheimer's. It could be some other disease or, illness that bankrupts a family. I mean, a lot of families have lost everything because of, you know, medical expenses or whatnot. Um, 
so far, knock wood, pretty much everything that she's had to get done medically, I think she's got one bill I have to look at. Um, but, you know, her, her insurance has covered that, like, like her pharmacy and stuff is covered. But, you know, she needs, she needs a place to, you know, she needs help. It's not happening. But uh, anyway, that's that story. We still have a little bit of time left, so um, let's kind of switch gears here a little bit, I think, as I'm kind of exhausted about this. Um, uh, the White Sox, it's do or die for them tonight. Um, if they lose tonight, they're out. They're out of the playoffs. And I was actually pulling for them. Since they beat my Cleveland Indians, uh, you know, Indians didn't make the, the playoffs. I was pulling for the White Sox, so we'll see what happens against Houston tonight. I I, I don't I'm not confident that, I mean, I, I kind of believe that the White Sox will win tonight, but, you know, it's a best three out of five. They're, they're down two to nothing. Um, my Browns are looking good. They're three and one. Um, they play at three o'clock today, so I'll be here upstairs watching the game. Um, and, you know, the Bears are two and two. And Joe still has the, the best hair that probably ever. I uh, did a virtual tour online of, Famous Greek statues of gods. And none of them had hair as good as you, Joe. Not one. Oh, well, theirs doesn't well, move as well. Huh? But, uh, theirs definitely doesn't have the movement that mine has, for sure. No, no, no. You're making a joke. I'm being serious here, okay? Today's supposed to be a serious podcast. Not Apollo, not Atlas. Um, Medusa, I, that was close. But, you know, that's a whole other story. Did you ever see the movie uh, Clash of the Titans with Medusa? Yeah, yeah, years ago, yeah. That was cool. That was I really loved that one. So yeah, I could go for that. Maybe that'll be Halloween. That'll be my Halloween. I still haven't picked out my costume, so <laughs> just a little hair gel, a few snakes, I'll be set. Um, yeah, you know, I got my hair cut with her the other day, so uh, the next time I go, I'll, I'll go about, you know, I'll try to, if I can get somebody just, you know. And your, your costume is looking fantastic too, boy. Woo. It's very scary. Yeah, just definitely nice little preview for everybody to get in the, in the holiday <laughs> mood. Yeah, get in the, yeah, that reminds me, I'm going to have to get some chocolate or some candy, I should say, for the kids. Well, I don't even know if they're going to come around, but, you know, yeah, I'll have some candy. If I don't eat it all first. <laughs> That's the trick is you got to time it right. You know, it's just like with a car pumpkin carving. If you, you do too early, the squirrels just eat it. And then, you know, that you're left with that. So I, I, I'm trying to determine if I'm actually going to do a, a pumpkin carving because, A, I'm a 50-year-old man. So what, why should I be doing that? But um, also my kids are out of the house too. So, you know, I'm running out of excuses for doing this kind of stuff. But um, I need some kind of indication to the outside world that we will be giving candy here. Uh, say it's for the kids joe that's what i've been saying my whole life honestly They're, they've all just been a cover story for me for the most part for letting, <laughs> me, for letting me buy my comic books and action figures and shit you know so uh but yeah now that's gone i've blown that so now i just have to you know come clean and say i'm doing it for myself i suppose uh but uh let's see what else is going on hey i took my first uh, archery lesson uh i took there's a place yeah um at uh, in Forest Park, actually, our, our friend Rick Solo, who did a great podcast with us, tipped me off. He he shoots one of his one of his hobbies is archery, 
And so I was kind of, you know, side talking with him and he said, yeah, check out this shop. And I'm going to read, it's called the Archery Custom Shop in uh, Forest Park. I believe it's the oldest um, like archery shop in the Chicago area. It's been there since 1948. So like I said, this is my first exposure to it. We had an instructor because I went with Sasha, actually. She did it too. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, I dig it. And I guess apparently uh, when you get up at a certain level, they almost kind of do it like a, a tournament of darts. You know, they, so they have the, the shop in front where you can buy all the archeries, you know, all the bows and arrows and things like that. And, uh, and then towards the back, they have a range where they, they do the lessons, but apparently they have a second floor and upper stair, uh, upstairs where they, they have range. I didn't see the upstairs range, but people come in and shoot there, you know? Uh, but yeah, apparently they, they uh, you know, have uh, competitions and things like that. So it seems like a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, who knows, that might be a new thing. Forest Park's a pretty cool town. I didn't live too far from there, right off of Harlem. Um, I was on Elmwood Park, Chicago border, Harlem and Grand before I moved out here. Forest Park was right down the street on Harlem. Um, there was one point in time I thought they said that that had more bars per square mile than any place in America, or or at least in Illinois. Um, oh. Yeah, but then I also heard that about Highwood, Illinois, too. I don't know if that's true or not, but... Uh, yeah, anyhow, you know, Forest Park, see now, that's south. Now, that's getting towards uh, Nico's old stomping grounds, his old neighborhood. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm a north side guy, so if I were to move back, I'd, I'd, <clears throat> I'd want to be somewhere on the north side. Um, but, you know, just because, again, I don't want to be isolated. I have a few, I'll call them friends, just not like, you know, older guys, people that I know that I could go and hang out with just to blow off steam. So for sure, I want to live near them. I don't need to go from one isolated situation where I'm at now to another one. You know, um, I just don't want to do that. I, I don't want to have to start making all, a bunch of new friends again. And, um, you know, I don't want that. Um, so at least on the north side, I know everything. You know, I know where places are. I know people that I can call are, are uh you know, something happens in my car. I, I got an idea where I can, you know, I know who who I can get to fix it, shit like that. Um, see, so I, I just want stressless, as stressless as possible, you know. But for real, nothing. She's got to go back to the doctor on November 6th for her th retest her thyroid with doctors switching medicines around. And then January 4th. So, um this is just a regular doctor. Um, I don't, I don't know uh, what, you know, what the point is, but, uh, but yeah, I want to, if I do get out, I want to, I want to go back someplace kind of nice. Yeah, right. Actually. So that was my first time really being in the downtown. I think it was the downtown of uh, Forest Park, but it's very quaint, like the downtown little stretch there, you know, like yeah. a lot of older, older storefronts and places. So uh, that's another draw to go there is that, and no pun intended, but I'll, uh, uh, you know, might end up doing lessons and then hanging out there in the evening. It might be a good, like, social thing. Uh, oh, they got a lot of Irish bars over there, um, mm -hmm. and they got a nice Italian restaurant there, um, if, it's, if it's still there, two floors. Um, well, I used to go to, I used to be a member of the American Legion in Berwyn over there, so, uh, which is basically the other side of Harlem, and, uh, but yeah, I did hang out now and then in Forest Park. Not often, okay, because that's, you know, not my bag. Um, but yeah, it's it's really nice. 
you know, with all those bars, maybe I should drink before I go shooting. That might yeah, be you might do better. <laughs> you got Oak Park down the street too. Oak Park's really nice. You know, um, you fit in out there. You know, they, they have some culture. The uh, um, uh, see, you talk about names. I just the famous architect. His house is there. His oh studio. yeah, right. Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah, his studio is there. Um, Rosati's Pizza is there. They got that uh, Penny Noodles. That's really good. A great ice cream shop. They have. I used to go to the this bar part in the basement of this fancy hotel because they played jazz on Wednesdays. I used to go to this other place, this other hotel bar, which was like from the 1930s because they had music there. They quit. They changed all that. That's before I moved. They they got rid. They changed all that. So I quit going to these joints because that was like one of my only right down the street from my house. I could listen to live jazz. How great was that for me? You know, um, I got to meet the actor John Mahoney. If you guys remember him, he played. Um, Oh, what the hell's his name? The doctor, the comedy. I can't think. I can't remember. The guy that played Frazier. He played Frazier's dad. Um, okay, and sure. he was in the movie Tin Man, which Tin Men, which I liked. Um, because he he lived in Oak Park at the time. You know, uh, he passed away now, but uh, but yeah, it was kind of like my old neighborhood, man, for years. All the, you know, wasn't far. Chicago has a lot of great burbs, actually. A lot of, you know, and a lot of city people are not, they stayed into the city, but there's a lot of, a lot of suburbs with a lot of character. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, sure. But, they, but even sections of Chicago, even neighborhoods. Now, I know that Chicago's making the news with this crime wave, carjacking and everything. It's all true. You know, there's no whitewashing it. It's happening. But the bigger picture is there's still, you know, enclaves that are so nice, uh, you know, peaceful um but i i for me i can tell both of you guys well everybody that's listening because of how i've been so isolated out here from anything even a even a decent taste in hamburger um i'll never put myself in this position again i just it's just not worth it life is not worth it when everything is a damn struggle uh, and you can't even get anything that's halfway decent so i want to be put wherever i live i want to be around good restaurants or you know like not even like fancy. I'm just saying like where I can get a decent, you know, euros or a friggin', you know, pasta meal or some shit. You know, it's it's frustrating. It really is to be out here. You guys know you've been to my house. You know, there's nothing out here. You know, it's fast food heaven. You know, and shit. Um, and I miss neighborhoods. I miss the diversity of of talking to somebody with an Irish accent or a Polish accent or a German or you know whatever or, or seeing an Italian guy on the street and saying something to him in Italian. Well, you know. When I'm having my morning espresso, I miss all that, man. I never thought, I, I mean, oh, man, how much I miss all that. Nico, you're the opposite, right? You're, you're getting further and further away. Yeah, I try to stay away from people, social <laughs> social distance as much as I can. You were but socially distanced I can, before it was cool. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I've been training for this my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> But I can I can I can identify with Tony, man. You go you go out in the the rural areas. It's like oh, he's leaving us hanging. The only thing you could eat is bride. It's like there's nothing. Yeah, there's there's no uh, culture. Definitely, it's lacking. So yeah, I definitely enjoy that part of the city. Yeah, me too. I mean, the culture. Just even just driving through the different neighborhoods and seeing how these are all brick houses. Almost, these are frame houses and the. These are, you know, the architecture of the buildings and so on. Um, 
I, I miss all that. I really do. And I mean, of course, it's always nice on a bright, sunny day. <laughs> okay. Nothing looks good when you got six inches of snow on the ground. But, you know, the people, the people of Chicago were so much like the people of Cleveland, okay, where you could, you could find kinship, you know, you, you really could, you may never become lifelong friends, you may not even know anybody's name, last name, um, but there, there's just something, because when, the one thing about when you're that diverse, I think in the rural section, at least I'll speak for the, out here where I'm at, People are into conversion, all right? They want to convert you into their way of thinking, their way of believing, this and that. They Because because everybody's the same. Everybody's the same. When you go to Chicago or any large city, Cleveland, no matter, everybody's different. Everybody comes from a different background, different thing. So nobody's really out to convert you into anything because they know it's not going to happen. They're either going to like your culture or like what you have to offer about it or, and then accept you, or they're going to just uh, stay away from you. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, the, the beauty of the diversity, the beauty of, I can talk to somebody like, like, like I, I told my friend Scott, it's like football it's, or baseball, anything. Everybody knows that I'm a Cleveland sports fan. When it comes to sports, nobody is trying to convert me to being a Bears fan or, you know, a Cub fan. They, nobody thinks in those terms but it seems out here where i live everybody wants you to start thinking and acting like they do and that's just not going to be me i'm not going to do it you know so get me back to chicago or you know close to it so i can just you know be a chameleon blend in with everybody once they know you're a browns fan they kind of realize it's a lost case so we kicked your ass a couple weeks ago bad nine sacks don't forget that don't forget it you have your one year. We'll see. We'll see. We, hey, man, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, see, both games are on today at three. I'm not sure I can get the Browns game, so I'll probably be watching the Bears, and I'll just have the laptop on and, you know, just get, you know, updates on the Browns. Um, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for the best with Cleveland, but being a Cleveland sports fan, I don't get too excited because it's heartbreak after heartbreak. <clears throat> I've only lived to see one championship, and that was a few years ago when the uh, Cavaliers won. You know, so that was great. I think I told you guys I went back to Cleveland for the parade and all that. Um, I soaked it up, man. I lived it up. It was nice. It was nice to be in that. Um, so no, yeah, it would, def- it would definitely be cool for Cleveland for them to get that. That, that, that I'll give them that. Well, you saw it. You were there. Cleveland's a coming back kind of. There's some nice areas in Cleveland that I was. They were not. not they weren't even like areas when I lived there. You know, Tremont and all that. That's really nice. Um, but it seems the pandemic, the COVID, the real estate. It's it's insanity now. It's 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 nuts. Um, the prices are just for rents or to purchase. This is ridiculous. Okay, um, I, I don't understand that. Um, so even to try to live back in Cleveland would, would not be feasible. I, you know, I, I'm not going to do it. I mean, I, I don't want to leave you guys. I want to kind of be, I told you, I don't want to start all over again. I want to get a little closer to, to the city or in the city particularly. And, um, you know, rekindle some friendships, not rekindle like we broke up, but just, you know, 
reestablish myself with people that haven't seen me as often as they should have in the last almost eight years that I've lived here. That's priority. Yeah, absolutely. Reconnecting is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, like I said, isolation for me, you know, there's like, you know, no one to even talk to in person out here. Um, you know, my mom, it's, you can't hold a conversation with her. So, you know, it, it's really tough. You know, I mean, these are cool. This, this thing here, this podcast, there's room, whatever, but it's not the same as just being with somebody in the same room, you know, where you could, you know, say, oh, come here, let's go in the other room and show you something or, or whatever. Let's sit outside, you know, or whatever, you know. But yeah, I, I do miss, I do miss Chicago. I just don't know what's going to happen here. Probably more of the same. <laughs> well, definitely praying for you and your mom, Tony. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people out there who are listening are as well. So, uh, and again, yeah, thank you for sharing all that. I think it's very important to raise awareness. If you're going to go through this, at least you, that's some positive you can bring to this is maybe forewarning to other people that they can start to prepare if they and maybe nip some things in the bud and be ready for it. Uh, it's, it's, it's nothing anybody wants, obviously, but we've got to be ready for it, the potential. Well, I've talked about that in regards to street fighting, how when, you, when you're getting into a street fight, you can't be fighting yourself as well as your opponents. You, you, have to have, you have to be mentally prepared to die. You have to have your affairs in order, like you know, life insurance, whatever it is, if you have a family, so on and so forth. I spent all my life focusing on that, and then this crops up. This is, this is an unexpected thing. So I find myself, I'll use the term fighting, fighting myself as opposed to fighting my mom's Alzheimer's because this, this, it just it's so much. It's so overwhelming. You know, imagine being in a street fight every waking moment of your day, every single day. You, not even a soldier can do that. Nobody, you, nobody's put through that, okay? Uh, you flame out. You burn out. So I, I'm battling my own self um, to try to, you know, keep my sanity, you know, lower my stress, um, figuring ways to blow off steam. Um, and, uh, you know, it's tough, man. This is the, this is the, probably the, you know, when I had to learn to walk again, that was a big challenge in my life. But I think this is a bigger challenge, okay, uh, because it, it, I just don't. I don't have help. You know, I don't, I don't have income. I don't have help. I am really, 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 really isolated on my own. So this is it. This is like being in the wilderness, man. You know, this is like when you, when you went on your wilderness trip, you know, a couple months ago, this is it, man. You know, I'm on my own and I got to figure my way out um, without a compass, without survival gear. That's pretty much how I, I'm looking at things. So I'm going to do the best I can, man. I'm, I'm hanging in there, you know, um, that's all I can say. But on that note, it's getting late now. I guess we should probably wrap things up. Um, I want to thank you. I'm glad to see you again, Nico. Good to see you guys. If I can see you in person, um, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens down the coming months. Um, but Joe, you're always the man. Shout out again to Javier, Javier Palomo. Uh, another, another world championship. And if you don't have enough reasons to be proud of Javier, he just gave you one more. How do you like me now? You know, so this is a beautiful thing. 
you know, so that's great. And, um, yep. So everybody, thanks for checking in and we will see you guys next weekend. All right. Later guys.